This morning, uh, I will, uh, number one, all I can say is get your Bible ready because I want you to turn, me to ser- turn with me to several places. And so be ready to, to make some, uh, some pages make noise, all right? Um, if you have a Bible, hopefully you got a Bible with you. If not, if you have a phone, if you got something like that, have something where you can go and see it for yourself. <laughs> but um, uh, secondly, I uh, want you to bear with me this morning, all right? This is one of those um, mornings where um, there are times when you feel like the weight of the world kind of is on you. And this is kind of one of those mornings, and now I will say this, uh, I've had several, several, several conversations throughout this week with different folks, um, some on the phone, some in person, some, you know, just in different ways, even, even through email and text. Uh, and so, uh, please, no one think that uh, there has been an overburdening um, of, of things uh, may I just say, we have an enemy that is consistently fighting. And, and listen, um, from church-related to school-related to every life that is touched through all of that related, I mean, it, it, it just, sometimes um, it, when it rains, it floods, Right, um, it doesn't just uh, doesn't just pour. Pouring would be nice at times, but other times it's like I just walked underneath the waterfall, and it just you know it it just it's hammering on you. Um, when, when what's what's around you, and you just you look around and you see and 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 you hear things. And I've talked to preacher friends that it's like okay, it's it's not one place; it's everywhere. <laughs> uh, we live in a time frame where it is evident where we are. It's clear. Uh, If you can't see it, open your eyes. Uh, The ostrich cannot keep its head in the dirt forever. Um, You have to see that there are things going on. You have to see that there there are things revealing what it is that we're dealing with today. And and so I'm I'm not seeking to be a downer this morning, but I have I have battled back and forth uh, for a couple of days on what we needed this morning, what the Lord would have, have us to look at together this morning from Scripture. And, um, and it's kind of settled in. I, I was really between two, and, uh, and then it settled in on what we're going to look at here starting in Revelation 3. And believe it or not, we're actually going to be hitting a, a, a passage of Scripture that contains what the other possibility was. So I guess we'll just have both in one. Um, but you're like, oh, great, we'll never get out of here. <laughs> Sorry. You're not just going to get one message, you're going to get two. Uh, but, uh, but we're going we're to look at this, and I, I have intention to, uh, to, to look in and examine um, the seven churches of Revelation 3 in detail later. I want to do them as one of our heavy topics on Sunday evenings as we examine the different aspects of, of what you learn concerning the, the, the real churches that existed that are being written about, as well as um, the, the pictorial aspect of it uh, and how it applies to the different church ages. And by the way, at the same time, may I say, not only do you have here uh, in Revelation 3, um, references to literal churches that existed at that time. Uh, but you have the reference to the pictorial understanding of, of the different sectioning of ages, which I'm going to give you in just a minute, uh, that you can see throughout, throughout the, the time of the New Testament church. You can find segments of, uh, of the different aspects mentioned uh, through the different seven churches, and you will very easily today, you're going to see uh, that we are living in the time frame of the description of the last church, okay? Um, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But, but may I say at the same time, you also, even today, you also have legitimately all seven churches that you could find visibly existing even today, all right? So they all existed at that time, 
They're all a picture of the different time frames throughout the church age, and they all as a whole do exist today. You, if you, and again, I'm not going to go into all of it. When we begin to examine each one, uh, we'll, we'll look at that in greater detail on Sunday evenings once we get there. So my goal is today not to give you uh, this big overview of all the churches. We're really going to be zeroing in on the last church mentioned, but uh, but. If you're there in Revelation 3, let me just give you the, the seven churches and, and, and the, the mirror images, the pictures of the seven periods during the church history of the New Testament. Um, and, and New Testament church age is from uh, what Christ established uh, and, and, and what we see there in the book of Acts all the way through till today, okay? We are in the New Testament church time frame. And... Um, and so there are seven churches mentioned. Uh, the first church is Ephesus, and uh, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you the the what would be a description, a very quick, easy description of each church, and the the time frame that you would find uh, if you were to segment out the history of the New Testament time frame and and, and may I say the New Testament church age that we are in uh, to, uh, up till today. So Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Uh, would be best described as the, the apostolic church. Now, again, don't, don't mistake the idea of the apostolic church of the day, okay? Um, the, there are those churches today. There is a group that calls them the apostolic church. That is not apostolic just means it was the time frame when the apostles themselves lived. Paul, John, Matthew, Peter, I mean, the apostles themselves lived and led the local New Testament churches, all right? So during that time frame, the church at Ephesus is a picture of the apostolic time frame when the apostles led, and that would be A.D. 27 um, through um, A.D. 100, uh, roughly. Then you have the church at Smyrna is mentioned Secondly, and that is the persecuted church. By the way, the only one not given one negative aspect from the Lord concerning that church. Revelation 3, you hear no negative aspect, no challenge of you need to do better. The church at Smyrna is the church of persecution, and, uh, and the Lord had nothing negative to say. He only encouraged them to keep pressing forward. They're doing well. Uh, they, listen, they, they were truly, they weren't, they weren't um, labeling their persecution as what they considered to be. It was genuine persecution. Um, that, that picture uh, with Smyrna is, is a time frame of 8100 to around 8300 would be the time frame that Smyrna pictures uh, dealing with the church. Then you have um, Pergamos, the church at Pergamos. Um, and that would be 8,300 to 8,500. Uh, if you were to give it an idea of, of what you would describe it as, it would be the worldly or imperial church. Uh, again, we'll deal in these things in detail later. Uh, then you have the church at Thyatira, number four. Um, that would be uh, uh, 8,500 to 8,500. That is dealing, if you were to give description, you're looking at... Uh, the church struggling with uh, being a pagan or papal church. The church is, uh, is, is giving into errant doctrine. Um, and, and so the church at Thyatira was, was rebuked by the Lord, was challenged by the Lord uh, in that area of error and doctrine. And that's a, a picture of 500 to 1500 AD. Then you have um, Sardis, the church at Sardis, was uh, a church of reformation. It was a church of change, a church of, uh, of, uh, that, that was getting back to. They were starting to pull back into, into some truth. And there were some issues even there though, but that would be a picture of the time frame of 1500 to 1700 AD roughly. And then you have just two more. Number six mentioned in Revelation 3 is the church at Philadelphia. Um, and, uh, and that, the, the, I'm sorry, actually, I believe it's, yeah, it's mentioned in, yes, Sar Sardis and, uh, and Philadelphia and then Laodicea. Th those three are mentioned in, in chapter three. The others are in chapter two, but, um, of Revelation, but the, the church of Philadelphia, 
um, is from seven, roughly from 1700 to 1900, being a picture of that time frame of the church. And uh, that is a, a, a time frame of revival and missions. The, the, the church, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What, what is Philadelphia meaning? It's a, the, the idea of brotherly love. It's the idea of caring and compassion for others. Um, they had some, some issues at Philadelphia, but they were the, the church uh, of revival, the church of sending the missions, getting the gospel out, and they cared for the needs and concerns of others, okay? So that, that was a positive side to them, and you really see that uh, in 1700 to 1900, you really see the modern-day missions getting the gospel around the world. So it's a picture of that time frame of church history. Then also, uh, you come down to the Laodicea and age. The church at Laodicea um, is probably one of the harshest um, declarations from the Lord here in Revelation 3, which is what we're going to look at here for just a moment. Um, and that would be the, the time frame of, of the 1900 uh, till present. And uh, there is no other church mentioned um, in challenge from the Lord in the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, after chapter 3, we've already said, after t- chapter 3, the church is not mentioned at all. There is no mention whatsoever. At the end of chapter 3, the Lord ends uh, with, uh, He that hath an ear, to, uh, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Then there's nothing else. The very next thing you have is John saying uh, that, that he, he looked and beheld a door was open in heaven. And the uh, first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, say, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so we, we've already looked at that on Sunday nights. And the fact that is, I believe firmly, it is a picture that God has spoken to the churches. The last, last church he speaks to is the church of Laodicea. It is a picture of the last church uh, uh, in, in the history of, of the church age. It is a time frame of the mentality of the church at the end of all things before you end up having uh, 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 what we call the rapture or the call, catching away of God's people, the church. And therefore, what you have is he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Jesus stops speaking. He stops declaring anything to the churches. You don't hear a mention of the church anymore after that point in chapter 3. And the very next thing you hear is John saying, I heard as though it were a voice as though it were a trumpet saying, come up hither. We believe very firmly that that is a picture, just like you have a picture of the different ages of church history all the way to the present. We have a picture right there of what happens to the church in that moment that the church gets called out and there's no more mentioning of the church as you go into the tribulation period. But we're not talking about that this morning. That's just kind of an understanding of of what is to come. However, I believe firmly we are in uh, the Laodicean age because of the, the declaration of what you see here concerning the church at Laodicea as a picture of what they were dealing with is a clear picture of where we're at today. This morning, I want to preach this, this thought. I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, verse 14 down to verse number 22 here in just a second. But this morning, I want to preach this thought that, uh, that should challenge us and realize that we are all we are all in the same boat. And that is this. We have need of much. We have need of much. Look with me in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to verse number 22. Bible says Jesus here speaking and giving instruction to John to write unto the churches. He said, and under the the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Now, when we start dealing in and we start investigating the different churches, I'm going to look at that a lot more in detail Um, when it comes to what is being discussed there. We're not going there this morning. But he's saying, you're not cold, you're not hot. I wish you were one or the other. But what what does he say that their problem is? 
Verse number 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, now watch, here is the declaration of the church of Laodicea. You tell me if it doesn't describe the modern day Christian. Not, not the world. We're talking about the individuals that claim to be a child of God. Here is the modern day mentality of the socialistic child of God. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And now watch, Jesus said, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Why is he saying, go buy of me gold? Because, oh, they're, they're buying and selling. They're getting gold. I mean, they're getting wealth to themselves and that's why they think they don't need God. God gave me the strength to do it for myself, so I'm doing it for myself. By the way, uh, one of the evidences of, of a, a humanistic and, uh, and worldly mentalityed Christian is when they use truthful sayings twisted to make it about me. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm, I, I, I'm, I am looking to attack our true enemy because he is, he is uh, infiltrating the minds and the hearts and the lives of God's people with humanism. The idea that we as humans are all that we need. We've got this. Oh, by the way, it is the basis of the errant philosophy of Americans. We're Americans. We don't need nobody. We're Americans. We're better than everybody. Now, don't get me. I know right now I'm going to have people, oh, bless God, he ain't a patriot. Let me ask you, like Paul said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Am I not proud to be in a country that we have freedoms yet still to do what we're doing? Just because I say we have an errant philosophy that is, is linked also with what the Laodiceans were doing concerning God. We don't need God. I don't need nobody else. Listen, we can make our own riches. We've got it for ourselves. Now watch, but we've got we to spiritualize it. We've got to spiritualize it. God has given us the abilities to do these things. So we're going to go out and do everything that we know we need to do. And we're going to provide for ourselves and we're going to make it work. Bring God in so it sounds spiritual and then say, but we're going to leave him out of it. And we're going to do it for ourselves because he gave us the strength and power. And he gave us the mind and knowledge. By the way, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Again, it all describes where we are today. And may I say, God's people are not immune to the problem. We think we are, therefore we are falling for the trap and don't even know where we are. Now, I, I, hang with me. Stay with me. You say, preacher, are you mad at somebody? Yes, I am mad at the enemy. I am mad at the devil. I am sick and tired of watching people just fall flat on their face as they bow down and worship the social mentality. Yep. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about what I can give myself. It's about what he wants for me. It's about what he plans for me. It's about what he directs for me. And it might be that he directs and he wants and he plans what others in society say would be wonderful. He might do that. It might be all that he has for me. He might really plan for this, the things that I would love to do. Boy, he, he can definitely do that better than I can. But again, it's not about what I can do for myself. It's about what he wants for me. 
It's about what God wants to direct me in. It's about what God has planned for my life. And if he's got it in his plan for me to follow those things which I had hoped for and longed for, those things that we normally, the world would say, boy, that was, man, that's smart. Well, that's great. But if he also has some things that planned for me that the world says, well, that's stupid. Okay. I'm not going according to social whims. I'm not going according to, to the, the, the idea of society's approval. I have to go according to what God wants me to do. And that's not just for preachers. Do you call yourself, according to the Bible and according to your faith in Christ, do you call yourself a Christian? This book is not for preachers. This is for every child of God. Therefore, every child of God must be knowledgeable of the direction of the guidance of the Savior they say they've trust in. Moving on, I'm not even getting my points yet. Here we go. I got to hurry. He goes on and says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Not according to the world. That's what he's saying. Buy of me gold. A different kind of richness. And, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And by the way, he is speaking in pictorial scenario here. He's talking about those things which are no longer a shame, that to the child of God should be shameful. Buy of me white raiment, that the shame be covered. By the way, what is he dealing with there? I'm not going to come back to it at this moment later, so I'm just going to hit it now. He's dealing with, be ye holy, for I am holy. He's not saying, be ye perfect. All, all you teacher's pets. You know, all you holier than thou's. He's not saying that. He's saying, be ye holy. Buy of me white raiment. Man, can I, can I, not to add words to what he's saying, but let me just give some clarity to what he's saying. He's saying, my children should buy of me and bring of me and come to me for the holiness that they might be clothed, that their actions be not a shame, that their lives be not a shame, that they understand that they're not perfect, but I can, I can cover their imperfection with my righteousness, not their own. I can cover and I can give them a testimony that is no longer a shame to them, but I can give them a testimony that in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their losses, in spite of their, their errors, and in spite of the fact that they still need me every single day or they're going to mess it all up, in spite of all that, I can cover them and I can, I can clothe them and I can bless them and I can give them a testimony. That they are more than what they should be. They are more than what they ever could be. Because they have bought from me that which is valuable. Because they have gathered from me that which is needed. And though they would be a unclothed shame to the cause of Christ, I can clothe them in a good testimony. A good name is rather to be cho chosen than uh, gold, choice gold and silver. A good name is rather to be chosen. I can't give myself a good name. In my abilities, I'll give myself a rotten one. If you only knew the things I'm capable of, My wife's pretty aware of it. <laughs> if you only knew the number of times that she preaches at me, you can't do that. But I want to. You can't do that. If you only knew, if you only knew the kind of ideas of how to handle some things that go through my head, In all honesty, you'd walk out those doors and never come back. Oh, <gasps> aren't you supposed to be a holy man of God? 
aren't you supposed to be a holy child of God? We're just talking about ground-level reality. If you knew what I would be without his help, you would run for your life. And by the way, even with his help, I still have a tendency to mess it up sometimes. (laughs) But the church at Laodicea, he said, you think you've got everything. You've got nothing. You think you've got it all figured out and you haven't got the first step figured out. You think you have need of nothing and you have need of much. Let me finish this reading so we can get into the message. Verse number 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten to be zealous, therefore, and be zealous, therefore, and repent. By the way, even in all of their issues and all of, of how sick that church made the God they claimed to follow, even in all of that, he didn't write them off. He still said, oh, All you need to do is be zealous, therefore, be full of zeal for what? For repentance. If you'll just be right with me, we can walk hand in hand together. He doesn't say, I'm through with you, I'm done, you make me sick. That's how we would treat people. He says, you make me sick. But may I say, can can I give you a thought that just hit me? The sickness, I believe, that was the strongest, you could probably define it as a love sick. He loved them so much that where they were just made him so sick. And he begged them to come back. Brokenheartedness. Now watch. Last little bit on this and then we'll, we'll move quickly, I hope. It goes on, verse number 20. Behold, I stand. Oh, this is, this is, mm, this is good. All right. We use this. We use this. I think I've said it before, but we use this passage oftentimes when it comes to salvation. And it still fits. I'm not saying it doesn't because the Lord is knocking. That, that's how it really starts. He's, he's seeking out those that are in need of forgiveness. And he's knocking at heart's doors and he doesn't bust a door in. People have to open and accept him. But may I say every child of God every single day has that same one who is invited to dwell that stands at a door. He might be in the house as a whole, but you might be in a room and you shut the door off to yourself. And he's standing there saying, hey, I sure would like to have fellowship together. Why don't you come to the supper table? Hey, why Stop staying in bed so late. Come on, get up. All right? And here's what he's saying. He's speaking to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, to, an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Listen, he closed out his message to the churches. With, he said, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. He said it numerous times. But he closed out with it all saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he dealt with the Laodicean church, the church that is, is so full of themselves. There's no room for God. They're so full of what they've given themselves. Hey, we know, we know how to do church to get people to come. We know, we know what to bring into the church so people can enjoy the entertainment of it. We know all the things that are needed to make church socially acceptable to a lost and dying world. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not fussing at anybody here. I am challenging you from truth. Listen, the Laodicean church knew how to pack a house. The Laodicean church knew how to get the money. The Laodicean church knew how to spend the money. The Laodicean church knew how to give themselves whatever they thought they needed. The Laodicean church knew what it was to live well, do well, speak well, uh, 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 in, in, encourage each other with flattering words and, and silver-tongued orators. They knew all about how to do all those things. And in the end, they were neither cold nor hot. They were lukewarm, and it made God sick because they weren't focused on anything that mattered to God they were only focused on that which they could give themselves we've got it figured out we've got it handled boy everybody everybody leaves all pumped up Woo! let's go let's go for what let's go win the lost let's go let's go uh, 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 to, to a, 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 a world in, in danger, a world in struggle, a world, world without hope, a world without truth. Let's go out and let's, let's share the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, let's go tackle this week. Yes, that money's waiting for you one, so, somewhere. You just got to have the faith to go get it. That new car is yours by faith. You can just go get it. That's where we're going. That's, that's what we're, I mean, it's, it's there. By the way, people use it in every aspect and walk of life, from stuff and finances to even health and family relations and all these different things. We use the world's mentality. I will say this, and we're going to get to these points. You ready? If the world can accept my life and be okay with it, something's wrong. If the world can listen to my music and be okay with it, something's wrong. If the world can hang out with me in how I act, how I dress, how, and nothing, nothing bothers them because we look the same, we act the same, we are interested in the same, we listen to the same, may I say, according to not Bobby Decker, not pastor of Bethel Baptist Church, but according to the word of God, something is wrong when the world is okay and they can stomach my life. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not saying go out there and be a weirdo. Go out there and cause as much trouble as you possibly can. What I'm saying is, is my testimony for Christ representative that I have bought from Him the gold that matters, the things that are precious, that I have bought from Him the raiment to wear. That is the world... I know this is awful, this is hard, this, this is not fun, but is the world offended that my life does not fit their expectations? I'm not looking to offend anyone, but the Bible clearly teaches that those that will live righteously, those that will live holy, shall suffer persecution. It comes in different forms. But as a whole, may I say, I can also put it this way. If I'm being what I ought to be, somewhere along the line, I'm going to deal with rejection. Because one way or the other, I just don't fit with what society expects. Now, since time has really moved along, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Y'all made it way too easy this morning listening. But I, I have to give you the, these few things. All right, we're going to try to go to these quickly. Y'all ready to turn? Y'all ready to turn? I can't just give you, well, he said, he said, he said. I really want to give you, the Bible says, all right? So there, there are, are five things that were mentioned here that Jesus said, here, here is your problem. You think you've got everything you need in verse number 17, but Jesus said, here's what I know about you. 
You think you have need of nothing. You're increased with goods. You're rich. You got need of nothing. And here, here's what your actual state. Here's the struggle you're in. He said, number one, you're wretched. I'm not even going to try to say the, the, the Greek name because I'm going to really mess it up. I've got it on my paper. Go look it up. But it, it literally means troubled and afflicted. You're troubled and afflicted. You're wretched. Christians are afflicted. By the way, listen, Christians, God's people, are afflicted by their own conscience and by the Spirit of God because of sin. And by the way, don't be mad that there's a struggle with sin. Don't get upset that, that, you're, that, that, that you're under conviction about sin. Don't, don't, don't beg God to take away the, the, the conviction he puts and, and, and may I say, the pressure he places on some area of my life that doesn't fit what he wants me to have. Be thankful that he cares enough to say, you know, that's not right. Be thankful that he's a father that cares enough to say, don't play in the street. You're going to get run over. No, you can't go down there with that crew. <laughs> it's going to ruin your life. I mean, be thankful that he cares enough to say no. And place the conviction on my heart that there's an area of my life that he wants to work in. Why? Because I'm troubled by it. I'm afflicted by it. And may I say, uh, I don't have time. That's what I got to say. I don't have time. But as a whole, watch. We're afflicted by those things which, that trouble us, that we know are just not right. And the problem, the reason we're staying afflicted is because we're not following what he said. Just repent. Just get right. Just walk with me. Just talk with me. Spend more time with me than you spend with Facebook. As one preacher put it, get rid of Facebook and get your face in the book. <laughs> I've heard that way back when, all right? But here's the thing. We, if we spend as much time with him as we spend with society, we might actually learn something. And I'm talking to myself as much as anything else. But he said, you're wretched. You don't even realize it. The struggle you're having is because there's something I'm trying to deal with and you just want it to go away. And he, he said, it's there because the only way it's going to go away for the child of God is for it, for your life in that area to match what I desire for you. And then we're in peace together. The struggle lets me know, the, the affliction lets me know that there's something not right but yet there's a way it can be right. Uh, mm. Don't turn here. I'm just going to give it to you. Go look at it. This is the passage of Scripture. This would have been the other message. We don't have time for two. I barely have time for one. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 29 through 75. I will preach it later. I will still have another message um, that, that we'll do later. All right? And, and I'll tell you now what the title of that one is. You ready? I, I, I want to preach it alone because the, the title of it is uh, the, the square peg phobia. The square peg phobia. I'm afraid of being a square peg for a round hole. I don't want to stick out. I don't want to, I want to fit, I want to fit it. Well, if I ain't supposed to be around, if I'm supposed to be a square, then I'll just be a square for God. But we have a phobia of all the phobias we have in this life. <laughs> I just want to fit in. Where do you want to fit in? That's a big question. Matter of fact, most of the time we tell teenagers, don't worry about fitting in because if you're worried about fitting in, you're probably going to be focused on fitting into the wrong crowd. Be careful about where you want to fit in. It can affect you. But in Matthew 26, you see Peter struggling because he doesn't fit in with the crowd he's hanging out with. He's where he shouldn't be, and he's starting to stick out like a sore thumb, and he goes as far as he possibly can to convince people he's 
not a square trying to fit into a round hole. But when it's all said and done, he runs away weeping. Because he let his fear of sticking out for Christ cause him to sell out on what mattered. And all it accomplished was a broken heart. We're wretched. Listen, we're wretched. We're, we're afflicted by those things which we know the Lord is not pleased with in this time of the church. May I say, we're miserable. He goes on and says, you're wretched, you're miserable. That word miserable there is basically in definition to be pitied or miserable. That's deep. That's real deep. Christians, and I want Christians are empty of the spirit of God and therefore we lose our joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Where do I get my joy? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Joy is of the Lord, but when I am empty of him in my life, he's my savior, my eternity's been taken care of, I've got fire insurance, but I'm empty of his presence. I spend no time with him. And when I do spend time, it's not quality time. It's just rush through it so I can say I did it. And when I'm empty, I'm miserable. You know the one time that I'm on edge more than any other time in my life? Yeah, my, my wife will tell you. <laughs> the one time that I get on edge, the one time that I get real short-tempered and I get, I get snappy with my words is when something's not right here because it's not right here. And misery loves company, so I'm gonna do the best I can to make everybody else miserable as well. Because I would much, I would much rather, here's the layout of C and age, you ready? I would much rather make everybody miserable than one get right. Is that not where we are today? We're miserable, we're wretched, we're miserable. Very quickly, oh, well, by the way, that, that uh, James 4, James 4 verse, uh, well, mm, 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 go over there because we're right close to that. James 4, James right there near it. Let me read it. I know, I know, I, I see the clock. Uh, I, I, need a, I need to pray the Lord turns back time for a moment. <laughs> James 4, verse 8 through verse number 10. Uh, look what the Bible says here. And this is the promise that we have. Hey, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What is it teaching here? Now, we love the first one, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. We love that one. And that's very true. And it's wonderful. But what about verse number nine? Verse number nine, it says, be afflicted and mourn. What, 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 is, what is being taught there? Don't get angry when God brings conviction. Don't get mad when, when something, when the Lord is bothering you. Listen, if the Lord ever stops bothering you, be afraid. If the Lord ever stops nudging you to, to walk closer with him, if he ever just, now I've, I've heard, listen, I've even done this, uh, and I, I hate to even admit it, but as a teenager, I got into a very rebellious scenario, a very rebellious time, and I got to the point as a preacher's kid and a teenager, I was sick and tired of it all. Not because anything was really wrong, I was wrong. And I was just so sick and tired of it all. No matter what I did, I got found out without even trying. The deacon's kid would do everything under the sun. The preacher's kid thinks about it and gets in trouble. I, I, I got so mad. I got so mad. I, got, I can't even think about doing something and somehow they find out. I'm serious. 
I, I, I kept looking for that bird. You know, a little birdie told me, you know. I kept looking for him, like, where's that bird? I'm going to kill it. But as a whole, I got angry and I got upset because I wanted to do my own thing. And there was a point at which, even though I knew it was wrong, there was a point at which I was laying on my bed and I was looking up and I said, God, if you'll just leave me alone. Leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. Now, may I say, at this point in my life, I look back and say, I'm thankful that God plugged his ears. There are some prayers that I'm very thankful went unanswered, at least without a yes. There are some things I'm glad God said, no, I'm not doing that. In that moment, I wanted nothing more than God to leave me alone. And he said, no, I care about you a lot more than that. You think you want that, but you don't know what I see down the line. I'm not letting you. Now, listen, there are some people who have pushed, 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 and God said, I'm going to leave you alone now. There is nothing more miserable than to have God stop dealing with you to truly feel alone because he's not bringing conviction. To be under preaching and hear nothing that matters to you. To read the Bible and get absolutely nothing out of might as well just read a novel somewhere. I mean, just nothing, nothing. I just, I have nothing. There is no more miserable life for a child of God than to have the very God they say they know and love leave them alone. Be careful. He said, you're wretched, you're miserable. I'm just going to throw these at you and, and y'all, y'all write them down. You catch them, okay? You just catch it. He said, you're poor. This is the strongest word used for description of poor. It means a total beggar. You think you've got it all together. You think you've got it all figured out. You have got it. You can survive on your own. Uh, you know, like, like a bunch of the kids growing up, and you know, every, most of us went through that stage. You know, we become young adults. We've got the tiger by the tail. I've got life figured out. I'm going to show all these old fogies how it's done. They don't have a clue. I've already got it figured out. They're in their 40s and 50s. They, they still ain't got a clue. I've got it figured out, and I just barely hit 20. It's amazing how little you end up knowing as you get older. But he said you're poor. The strongest word. You're destitute. You're empty, a total beggar. And may I say what he's telling the church here is you're, you're empty, you're completely destitute of the values that matter. You have a lot of your own personal values, the things that you have valued, but you have zero values according to God. You're empty. I, I, I don't have time to go, but you could write down Daniel chapter 5 as a good picture of what it would be like. Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, used the things of God and, and used all the stuff and big old huge party and he was boasting and bragging about everything he had, all that he had done and a writing ended up on the wall. And ultimately that writing came down and said, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You think you've got it all and yet you have nothing because you think it's all about you and you give no glory to the one who actually has given it. You're poor. Uh, you could also write down for, for me, and uh, I wanted to take you these scriptures and read them, but you're gonna have to read them for yourself, okay? But 2 Peter 3 uh, and, and verse 14 through 18, dealing with, with, with being poor and, and, and empty of values and those things. There are things that we should hold to and not be empty of. Second Peter 3, 14 through 18. Uh, the fourth is, he said, you're blind. 
that that blind means by definition without any sight whatsoever. In other words, you've, you've closed your eyes to it, you've closed your eyes to it, you've closed your eyes to it, and now even if your eyes are open, you can't see it. You have deceived yourselves. There's no spiritual sight or understanding. There's spiritualism. And may I say, here's what we got today. There is spiritualism that is now morphing into spiritism. And just because you call it a spirit doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. And by the way, they're so brazen today that what they reference as the Holy Spirit is not the God Holy Spirit. It is another spirit that they are deeming as holy. Don't have time to go there. But that is the, by by the way, that is religion today. Religion will kill you. It's not religion that matters. Truth is what matters. Relationship with Almighty God is what matters. You're poor, you're blind. Even the Pharisees could not see. They erred, why? Because they knew not the scriptures. They didn't care to know the scriptures. They could read it and they would just ignore it. The truth is right in front of them and they completely missed it. They boasted in their knowledge of it and yet had no understanding, no wisdom. Uh, 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 you're, you're right near there. Second Peter, very quickly. Second Peter 1, uh, I'm almost done. I promise I'm almost done. Second Peter 1, verse number 4, through verse number nine. Listen what, what is said. I mean, well, I'm, look at verse number three. It said, blessed, Second Peter one, verse number three. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong. Second Peter, not first. Second Peter one, three. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the key and last verse, verse number nine. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We're poor I'm going to go back. We're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and at that willfully. And the last thing he said is naked, and I'm I'm going to finish right here. This word naked literally means an openly naked, you know, unashamedly. If there's one thing we've lost in our society, it's what the Bible called shamefacedness. One preacher said it this way with a group of young people, and I believe it to be very true. He said, the biggest problem we have is we've forgotten how to blush. Nothing makes us go, oh, gracious, anymore. We see horrible death on the TV. We see blood and gore. Used to be you had to go look for pornography. Now it's plastered all over the place. And it's called advertisement. Now it's praise. Oh, (laughs) I got to stop. We hail heroes on the stage. And they come dressed in less on the stage while we say what a wonderful influence for our young people. 
Can I give you one Greek word for that? <laughs> and I, listen, I'm not attacking. I, I, I'm not attacking people. I'm attacking life styles. I'm not attacking individuals. I'm attacking, attacking wrong mentality. I'm not attacking those that are around us. I'm attacking the enemy that is causing those around us to throw their lives away. May I say, and even us, to throw away what God has intended for his children if we're not careful. Who do I hate? The devil. I preached a message a while back. The feeling is mutual. He hates you with everything. And I every now and then look back and say, the feeling's mutual. We're naked, we're blind, we're poor, we're miserable, we're wretched. The biggest thing about the nakedness is, and, and I'll write down Revelation 16, 15. And if you're writing down notes, you can also write down Philippians 3, verse 17 through verse number 19. Here's the big problem with nakedness, according to what he's talking about to the church at Laodicea. They're so blind. They're so deceived. And that by their own willful choices. That they are an open rebuke to the face of God. They are an open shame to the cause of Christ. May I say they're even near blasphemous with how they are living their lives. And they don't care. It doesn't bother them. They're completely naked, spiritually speaking. And the world laughs and scoffs at the name of Christ. And it doesn't bother the church. What's the big deal? You know, why can't I live like they do? It's, you know, hey, it's just the way our society, it's just the day we live in. Just go with the flow. Go with the times. Catch up, old man. If that's the attitude of the church, now, there are some things we can keep up with. There are some things we can do to be relevant in today's, and we don't have to live like the 1800s. But the church is buying in to the, the world is telling the church what the church is supposed to be. And the church is saying, we want the world to like us. And so we're going to be the world. And we're going to make everything like the world. And we're going to do like the world. And we're going to follow what the world requests of us. You know, we're even going to, we're going to send out letters and ask everybody around town, what would you like to have in a church? Because we want you to come to a church that you would feel comfortable at. By the way, if every time I go to the house of God, I feel 100% comfortable, I'm poor, wretched, miserable, destitute. I need the Lord to convict me so that I can say, Lord, help me. Because I'm a reflection of you. And I don't want to be a shame. I don't want to be a disgrace. I don't want to give cause to the enemies of God to blaspheme the God that I say I love. So Lord, help me. Rake me over the coals if you need to. <laughs> Draw me to yourself that we might walk together so that I might be more like Christ and others might see him in me more than they see me in me. We have need of much. Why are lives falling apart? Why are homes falling apart? Why are churches falling apart? 
because we have need of much and we say we have need of nothing. We are the Laodicean church. About time we stopped acting like it. and started saying, I want to be the church. I want to be the people of God that a holy God desires to have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning.